Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Annie Andrews. Dr. Andrews is a pediatrician and a remarkable advocate who joins the show today to share a very exciting and a very compelling decision that she has made. I am absolutely honored to have her here and delighted to be able to speak about where she's going and what she's doing with her and with all of you. So without further ado, Dr. Annie Andrews. Annie, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. I'm delighted you're here. Thanks for having me. You're on an interesting path. There's been a lot going on, obviously, the last couple of years, I think, for all of us in the healthcare profession have been momentous. We've all walked different roads. We've all taken on a variety of challenges, and you are taking on a big and a bold new challenge, and I would love to hear what you have in store, what road you're choosing to walk. Yes. Well, thank you for having me here to talk about this today, Mark, and thank you for all the support you've given me on this road that I've been on. So yeah, so I'm a pediatric hospitalist in South Carolina, and my whole life I wanted to be a doctor. And actually, I told my preschool teacher that I wanted to be a doctor and a mommy with three kids. And I don't have any doctors in my family. I don't know where that dream came from. That's amazing. (laughs) Yes. But that is the path I set myself on. That is the path I intended to stay on. But as you alluded to, the circumstances of the world around us have compelled me to shift gears and take a new path. And that's why I'm very excited to be here with you today to talk about my plans to run for Congress in the first congressional district in South Carolina. That is incredible. That is incredible. I feel like you might be, and I hope, at the the tip of the spear of a wave of healthcare professionals, of scientists, of people who have experienced the sharp edge of the COVID-19 pandemic who are making this decision. But I want to start a little bit further upstream. We're all engaged more so now than I think for many of us, myself included, have been in the past. What sort of brought these puzzle pieces together? You've set great goals for yourself. You've, 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 you've had a vision of what life would look like since preschool. And you, you shaped it. I mean, amazing, right? How fun is this? And now you could be in a place of contentment if you so chose, but there's puzzle pieces in front of you and you've moved them around a bit. How, how does that happen? How does that evolution and that mindset start to come together to say, I'm going to run for Congress? <laughs> I love the framing of that, the puzzle pieces, because I think that is what it has felt like. I was actually just reflecting on this the other day as my youngest turned five, um, because she was born right around the time of the 2016 presidential election. 
And I knew I was having my second little girl, my third child. And I remember all the feelings I had leading up to that election, all the hope I had for my daughters specifically, my children in general, all the children I care for. And then that sort of all came crashing down. And I felt like I didn't really know what world it was that I was bringing my kids into. And so my perspective as a parent has really shaped my perspective of the world and also allowed me to shed sort of any pretense of caring what people think about me or taking the path less traveled because I'm fighting for my kids. I'm fighting for your kids. And what is more important than that? So after that 2016 election, you know, I'm a mom with three kids and I just started to find ways to engage more with my community. I was not engaged in child health advocacy really as a resident or a junior faculty member. And I specifically was became very passionate about gun violence prevention. And it was right around the time of the um, shooting in Parkland when I noticed a police officer patrolling the drop-off line in my kindergartner's drop-off um, at elementary school. And I think that person had always been there, but I had never looked at them in the same way after Parkland. And so I called my senators, which I was in the habit of doing at the time, and just to say to kind of say, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a pediatrician, I'm worried about our children's safety in school and the community, you know, and what is Senator so-and-so planning on doing about gun violence? And the reaction, the response I got was, you know, disappointing to say the least. And I remember standing where I was standing in my house at the time and just feeling like really motivated to do more rather than just call. And so I sought out our local mom's demand action chapter and I went to a meeting and I am just will forever be grateful that that organization existed, that it was in my community when I needed to do something more because the infrastructure was there and the amazing activist women in my community had already coalesced around this issue. And I got to walk into a meeting of organized women and learn how to be an activist and learn how to fight for causes that I believe in. So that's sort of where it started. And then I quickly realized that as a pediatrician, I had a lot that I could lend to this cause. They needed my voice, just like I needed to learn everything about advocacy and activism from them. They needed my voice. And so it was a perfect match and things just really snowballed from there. If you were to think about this idea of looking at a strategic picture and having the confidence and the training and the expertise to not just see it for what it is, but to see it, not even that I could contribute, that they need my voice. I was really struck when you said that. What helps us find that level of, it's not hubris, it's an understanding of your skill set. What helps you to find that so that you can then move into these places and say, I have a role that I can play here. I can contribute. I can be of value. I think that that you really hit the nail on the head there that it isn't hubris. And I am not that kind of person that I walk into a room and I'm super confident and like, oh, they're so lucky I'm here. But it was just really clear that, you know, they specifically were trying to make connections with pediatricians in my community. And they had failed time and time again at getting any traction there. And so it was a very concrete thing that I could do for them by introducing them to some of the bigger practices in the community and getting their gun safety program into the local children's hospital. And so it took like a very practical way I could help them for me to realize that I needed to be helping them. And 
it was sort of the opposite of hubris in that I was ashamed that I had been a practicing pediatrician for almost a decade and I hadn't lent my voice to any of these causes. And so it's like, I'm trying to play catch up because now I realize I've had this platform, I've had this voice, I could help the people in my community and I hadn't been doing it. And now that I realize I have the voice, it's like, let's go, let's get going. I think that that statement of yours is going to be rocket fuel for a lot of people. Uh, I've I've walked a similar path insofar as understanding the role that healthcare professionals must play in these sort of public health issues and that we've left a lot of years with that with those stones unturned and hearing someone of your stature and your track record and your training acknowledging owning and then moving down that road is extraordinarily exciting as a pediatrician though right the focus of your professional world the focus of your expertise training all of this is around caring for kids, is around caring for the young people of your community of South Carolina and helping others around the United States get trained, get better, learn, improve. What does it feel like when kids are the focal point at home, obviously, as a parent, but as the focal point of your professional life? In my professional life, I don't take care of kids. I'm an adult hospitalist. Having children as the focal point, how does that inform the work the determination and the motivation? I mean, it really is, it's all of it for me. Um, You know, children are at the center of my professional life, my advocacy life, everything, because children are not partisan. Children don't vote. Children are, it sounds cheesy, but children are our entire future. Children are relying on us to do what is best for their future. and. When you talk about climate change, when you talk about preserving our democracy and voting rights, when you talk about expanding access to pre-K, expanding Medicaid in states that haven't expanded Medicaid, all these things, all these decisions that are being made by adults that are not helping children or in many cases harming children. And that just like, I mean, that is the fire inside of me. And I think because children are at the center of what I am doing it is a compelling argument to make. You know, even if you don't have your own children, do you have grandchildren? Do you have aunts and uncles? I mean, nieces and nephews. Like, I just feel like that can be such a grounding thing to look at someone in the eyes and say, let's talk about our kids. Let's talk about my kids and your kids and everyone's kids. And I think if we can meet and meet there, then we might be able to make some progress by reframing some of these issues with a focus on the future for our children. I've made it clear on the arc of Explore the Space, I don't like platitudes. I don't find them to be effective. I don't find them to be useful modes of communication. When you say children are our future, like I want to stand up. <laughs> I want to start clapping it up. I get so fired up because when it's a pediatric hospitalist with expertise in gun safety and gun violence advocacy and understanding climate change and all of these things that you've listed, it's not a platitude, right? That is that is the it's not the nine to five either. It is the arc of life. And it is so extraordinarily compelling. How do you then gather information and translate what you know and what you use in the hospital and in the meeting room? How does that then translate into a message to the South Carolina first so that they can feel that same way that I feel when I hear you say it? I mean, so I say this when I talk to groups of residents um, about child health advocacy, that 
your passion needs to be authentic. And I think that, you know, that's something we share. We, you know, I feel your authenticity and your passion for making the world a better place. And my passion is very true and honest. And I think that that will come through as I embark on this political campaign that I am not in it for me. I never intended to be a politician, to run for office. I don't want to be famous. I want to be effective. I want to help the children of South Carolina and the children of this country. And I think it is just such a shame that there aren't enough people in these high offices with that priority. And what you said earlier about the pandemic and physicians and healthcare professionals being motivated to engage more, I I am so hopeful about that. I think that we are so busy in medical school and residency learning how to be a doctor, which is a very hard job. There isn't time to understand how the government works or how we can effectively engage with our elected officials. And so some of us choose to figure that out on our own. But I hope that the more of us who are engaging in this way, the more accessible it will be to the next generation of physicians so that it will be very normal for doctors to run for office because that's what it should be. We need our voice needs to be in the conversation. As you've over the last few months kind of opened the toolbox and said, okay, here are the things that here are my strengths. Here are some things where I really feel like I can lean on and, and they're developed and I can articulate them and really soar with these pieces And then here are the places where I really feel like there's opportunities for improvement, acknowledging that in our profession, we are always trying to learn, right? CME, continuing medical education, it's drilled into us. We we know that we can always continue to work to get better. How are you bringing those into one, saying the strengths and the opportunities for improvement are going to be rocket fuel for each other in parallel and in series? How does that sort of work so that you don't feel like they're in opposition? I I can't spend time over here. I got to spend it here. That it's, that it's a symbiotic thing. How do we bring that together? Yeah, so I think that recognizing so many of the skills we have as physicians can translate to this other world that I'm entering now. Um, you know, I'm a, a researcher and I'm a teacher and I speak a lot publicly in the professional setting and those skills will apply well here. I think I have to remain true to who I am because if I sort of just become one of them, then I'm not doing a service. I'm doing a disservice to the whole reason I'm doing this. You know, I'm not doing this to become a career politician. So I have to figure out how to maintain my own authenticity using those skills that I've honed, which you might not immediately think are good political skills to have. But I walk into rooms of families I've never met every day in the hospital, and I immediately have to develop rapport. I have to build trust with those families. You know, I have to, you know, figure out how to connect with the child, trust with the parents, make a decision, all while role modeling for the learners I'm with. And so that's a complicated thing. If you sit down and think about what we do every day in our jobs, that's complicated, but we don't think about it like that. And those are the same skills I think that I'm going to be able to use when I'm out on the campaign trail, trying to connect with voters and talk to them sort of about what my vision is for South Carolina. Acknowledging that you've lived uh, a busy and exciting life, I just I hear when I hear you talking about that about this idea of when you're in in the room in the hospital building those connections in that moment of uh, for parents right high pressure high stress lots and lots and lots at stake building rapport and trust and and shared decision making to then translate that 
to being part of a political campaign in the South Carolina first, I, I just hear a sense of excitement from you that is that is incredibly compelling. Do you do you feel different? Do you feel different being in this place now of starting this adventure? Does it feel different for you than the other kind of big and bold things you've embarked on in your life? I mean, I do feel different. I feel I've been saying I feel mostly excited and, you know, a little bit terrified, which I think is natural. I, you know, I've been on the phone a lot the past few weeks and I've reconnected with people from all stages of my life. And um, the number of women I've talked to who have started crying when I've told them that I'm doing this, whether it's, you know, professional colleagues that I've only interacted with at, you know, meetings, or it's my aunts who have known me since I was a baby. I mean, people telling me that they're getting chills and they're crying. And I think it's just because we all feel sort of this sense of like, what is happening in this world? And here I am like trying to do something about it and connecting with all those people who have been so important in my life. And it's just, it's been really exciting. I feel like I have no idea what I'm getting into, but <laughs> I also feel like I have support from all over the country. And I have said this to several of the Moms Demand Action volunteers I work with that if it weren't for Moms Demand Action, I never would have been brave enough to make this decision because that organization is incredible. It is incredibly supportive. It has also given me a voice and provided opportunities for me to use my voice as a pediatrician and a gun violence prevention advocate and shown me the importance of doing that. Um, and that has given me confidence. I, I love that that, again, that those puzzle pieces that have come together to give you that confidence are there because they're there for others too. And that they are that they've made clear that they're welcoming and they want to build those communities. I will just share with you, I sent you a message a few months ago to ask if you'd ever considered running for elected office. And when you replied that, yes, you were actively thinking about it. When I got home, I was like, I told my wife, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I think she might run. I, I hope she's going to run. And then we, we talked on the phone a few weeks later and it's like, I, I think she might actually do this. This might actually happen. And now here we are. I, I really, I, I think you're going to uncork a level of pent up emotion that so many of us are feeling. And I think it's extraordinary that you've decided to do this. And I think it shows a level of leadership that we crave and also sorely need. I would also acknowledge though that's a lot of water to carry. That's, that's a lot. And I feel like there's opportunity there and there's also a need for some endurance there. And have you have you thought about this idea of carrying this this weight of expectation of excitement of all of this now for a, a lengthy campaign and then moving on into Congress? Yes, I'm starting to. Yeah. Um, I'm really focusing a lot on getting through these first few months of the campaign, yeah. finding my bearings. I have I'm so fortunate that I have an incredibly supportive family colleagues, my parents live here, everyone is all in. And so I do feel really supported. So I do feel like I am in a place of privilege that I even have this choice to make, right? That this is even an option for me that I can make this choice. And I am so grateful for that privilege, for the fact that I'm at this stage in my career where I can step back a little bit, that I have a supportive husband and children and a community around me. I did want to go back to something you said earlier about the message you sent me, because I think it's really an important lesson. And I just told you about how when you told me sometimes the moment finds you, Annie, 
And that imprinted on my brain. And I think it will be with me the entire campaign and beyond. And I think it's amazing to understand that you have that power to sort of nudge someone on their path in life. And I am so grateful to you for doing that for me. But I think everyone needs to realize whether it's a med student, whether it's your own child, whether it's an old friend, like we all sometimes just need a little nudge to do these really big, brave things. And we have the power to help people make those choices. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I I agree with you. And I think when we look around and acknowledge that we're, we're so closely united within the world of healthcare and being healthcare professionals. And then through the, the, the annealing of the, the pandemic, I think we lean on each other now more than ever. So we can nudge each other. We can encourage each other. I think that we have a responsibility to do it so that when Dr. Andrew says she's going to run for Congress in the South Carolina first, that there is a legion of voices that comes in behind you. And for the people who learn from your example and do the exact same thing, and we build a tradition right? We're a profession steeped in tradition. We build a tradition where this is how it's done. This is how we send people to high office. When one of us runs, we're all running. And I think that that is an extraordinarily compelling thing for a profession of really bright, highly motivated, hardworking people who are committed to the betterment of those around them. For me, that that's that's life's work. That's legacy stuff. And that you are right out at the sharp edge of it, I just think is amazing. And Getting out on the sharp edge, when you get to start campaigning, when you get to kind of get out on the street in the South Carolina first, what are the things you're most excited to talk about? When you get to be handshake to handshake, eye to eye with the people that you're seeking to represent, what are the things you are most excited to speak with them about? A lot of things. Yeah. I think that as physicians, we understand the power of storytelling. And I think sometimes also as scientists, we get bogged down in the data. And I think it's using a combination of those two things. It has been really apparent to me that people in my community don't understand how gun violence impacts my community. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The ways it's covered in the media, sort of what we want people to think of Charleston, South Carolina. But the other thing is those of us who are on the front lines of these public health problems like gun violence or covid we have a duty to share what we're seeing with our community because otherwise, what is, how is our community supposed to understand what it's like to care for a child who has suffered a firearm injury? And I think we just, you know, we of course respect the privacy of our patients, but I think that almost gets us a little bit too bogged down that we just have to keep these experiences inside. We shouldn't really share them. It's our sadness that we have witnessed and we don't necessarily want to put that on our community. But when I start speaking out and telling people who aren't in healthcare about what it's like to care for a child who's been shot in the spine and will never walk again, or a beautiful little two-year-old girl who was shot in the face and will be disfigured for her entire life, those stories resonate with people because people don't understand that that's not in the headlines. And when you can tell them those stories, you can, I think, really compel them to sort of reframe how they think about some of these issues. Because how are you going to hear those stories and then blow me off when I try to talk to you about common sense gun legislation? And so I'm really excited to be able to share sort of what I've witnessed as a pediatrician in my community for over a decade with the people in my community, because I have a front row seat, as do you, to the effects of failed policies and to what our community really needs. And then specifically to what the children of our community need to thrive. As someone who 
loves South Carolina from afar, I, I want nothing more than to see that state just sort of stand up and and be a part of what you're describing, this opportunity to learn and understand and empathize and move forward because we're all we're all on this journey together. This and, and again, this isn't a platitude. This is a journey we get to walk together. We can walk it alone. We can hold our stories in. And as you said, we can carry the sadness on our own if we so choose to choose to get out into a community that you love and feel strongly about and to share stories and share sadness, but also be able to then share aspiration goals, what it looks like to do better, what it will feel like when it's better and different is just extraordinarily compelling. Where I live, the same issues exist, but we deal with wildfires and we deal with climate change and we deal with how climate change is is such a, a, a threat amplifier. We got a tweet yesterday from the Santa Rosa Fire Department because we've had some rain saying that wildfire season for 2021 is over. And it's just like this, oh, we can move forward now differently. We can take steps to get better. What I hear from you is regardless of the issue at hand, the sharing of story, the connecting around it and the articulating what a different future looks like is that rocket fuel for change as we move through our lives together. Yes, absolutely. I think. The children we care for, the patients we care for, our communities deserve that um, because if we're not sharing their stories, no one is. And we have these platforms and you're using your platform. I'm learning how to use my platform to help help people, help make the world a little bit better place. Again, that sounds cheesy, but that's really how I feel. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there who feel similarly. I agree with you. And, and you're right. Saying making the world a better place, it can come off as... A platitude. But when you're running for Congress, when you're running to be the representative for the South Carolina first in the United States, that is a role that gets to help make the world a better place. Uh, and to to not own and acknowledge that is is a is a mistake to own and acknowledge it is extraordinarily exciting. So I love that those are the words that you choose, because that's the role that you're 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 ascending to. And we need you there for sure. As people hear this and they get as excited as I obviously am about this, how do they find you? How do they learn more about your campaign? How do they learn how to become a part of it? How do they learn how to contribute if they so choose? This is going to be a journey. We want to walk it together with you. How do people learn about it? Yeah, so for starters, they can go to my new website, DrAnnieAndrews.com. That will have information on sort of who I am, how I feel about some of the pressing issues of our day. There will be information there on how to volunteer. And, you know, you can volunteer from anywhere. You can make phone calls um, from anywhere. So we will need volunteers down the road. And there, of course, will be information on how to donate. Um, because if I want people to hear what I have to say about these things, I have to raise the money to be able to get that audience. And so that is an important part of the campaign. Um, but like I said, the amount of support I've received just over the past few weeks calling friends and family has been incredibly motivating and heartwarming and exciting, and it keeps me going. Is it Dr. Annie Andrews, Dr. Annie Andrews, or Dr. All spelled out? Dr. AnnieAndrews.com. Okay. Yep. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter also, Annie Andrews, MD. This is extraordinarily exciting. We'll have links to all of those in the show notes, obviously. What what an adventure. What a journey. You're the right person for the moment. The moment has sought you out. And it's extraordinary to see you see the moment, grab it and move forward along with it. It's extraordinarily compelling. It's so motivating and exciting. 
Dr. Andrews, you're on an amazing adventure. You're going to help make our country better. Thank you so much for joining me. This was amazing. Thank you for having me, Mark. My thanks once again to Dr. Andrews for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. We have links in the show notes. There's a link to her website. Please go check out Dr. Dr. AnnieAndrews.com to learn about her campaign, to find a place to donate, and to get aboard this amazing journey. Like we talked about, this is an opportunity for healthcare professionals across the United States to really get behind what she stands for, what she is doing, and to help send Dr. Annie Andrews to Congress. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship Programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. And thanks to you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you feel as fired up as I do listening to Dr. Andrews talk about why she is running for Congress in the South Carolina 1st Congressional District. Definitely check out the Archive of Explore the Space podcast, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Please do subscribe to Explore the Space podcast wherever you like to download your shows. Leave us that five-star rating and a review. That really helps us out. And definitely share this episode. Share it with your friends. Share it with your colleagues. Help spread the word so that we can get as many people as possible behind Dr. Andrews as she launches her campaign for Congress. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon with more great content. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.